This is the third uh, part of the psalm. If you've missed the first two, I'll do a snippet of a recap. And it will be a snippet because, you know, I have so much. I'm with a, a written on this uh, psalm. It's just inexhaustible, really. Um, and it could be weeks and weeks and weeks. Upon. This is our third week already. We haven't got past, really, the first verse. Um, I'll see how I get on this morning because we're coming into the, the conference coming up next week. Pastor Rusty Thomas and his wife Kendra will be over during this week and I'll have them next week and I'll be taking them Sunday morning and Sunday evening down to uh, other churches that I've booked them into to introduce them. Um, Glenn McMurray will be on in the morning. Andrew will look after the table and Pastor Stuart Elliott will be here on Sunday evening to preach the word, and I'll be about with these other churches. Then the following Sunday will be the third, and that will be our last day of the conference, and he will be on morning and evening here, and then he has another Sunday to do after that. So I don't know whether to break this up for a few weeks and come back to it or not. I'll see how we get on and how I feel led in it. Psalm 61, we'll read the opening titles because it's always important, as I said, it's there for a reason and I'll get a drink first. Okay, the opening titles of Psalm 61. To the chief musician upon Naganah, a Psalm of David. Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter from me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. Selah. For thou, O God, hast heard my voice. Thou hast given me the, her- the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou will prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Let us pray. Father, we ask you again now to take your word and to Inscribe it in every heart and imprint it upon every mind. And, O God, that you would speak severally and individually to each and every person. Bless every head and home and heart. Lord, that's represented here this morning. Bless the leaders and the teachers and the young people and the babies down there. Lord, we just pray that you would keep your hand upon them. We thank you, Lord, for the youth out last night and here this morning, Lord, that They had a good night last night. We thank you for salvation coming a couple of weeks ago to the youth. And we pray, Lord, that you would continue to move, Lord, by your grace and in your power, by your Holy Spirit. So, Father, bless your people this morning and glorify your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. I just want to say as well, I thank Pastor Tom Quinn for stepping in at the last moment last week. I apologize for not being here. Um, I'd been ill from Friday and I was up some of the night on Sunday morning, got a few hours sleep and I got up again. I got showered and I got dressed and I read over my word and I prayed 
And I thought I'd have a cup of tea before I went out. I couldn't even face eating anything. And I had a cup of tea and the rest is history. I ended up in bed all day again. And I just phoned Pastor Tom at the very last moment. And thankfully, he was available to come and do the day for me. So I do appreciate that. And the elders for looking after things for me too. The Lord bless you all. David mentions the word in the opening title here, Nagana. To the chief musician, notice upon Nagana, a song of David. It was a song or a poem played with stringed instruments. And remember, it could be done collectively with many instruments together or individually and singularly. So David is looking back here at a really dark, dark time in his life. He's looking at a time when he thought he had never recovered from it. I don't know if you've ever been in a time like that or even if you're feeling you're in a time like that. It's very dark and sometimes you feel you'll never recover from this. This is the basis on where David is writing this psalm from. And now it's said he's either ascending or already has ascended to the throne again. And he's looking back remembering. Because, you know, when we go through these dark times, when we go through mournful times, hurtful times, they scar us. And as I said, it's all right to be scarred. Scars are proof that you're still here. Scars are proof that you've overcome, that you've went through it. As long as it's not an open festering wound in something, because an open wound will fester and fester until it becomes infected and it will infect your soul, it will infect your mind, your thinking and your heart. And so the, the difference is here, if, you're, if you've been scarred in the past, if you've been scarred then you can see that God has brought you through, you're here. You've overcome it. So we can look back and learn from those scars. I have scars, spiritually speaking, and physically, but I have scars, spiritually speaking, many scars. And you'll have scars in your life, maybe in your mind and in your heart, from something in the past that has really, uh, really hurt you, or something in the past, even the, the, the near past, and it's really done scars, some sort of damage to you. And you feel you can't get over it. You'll never get through it. What a scar is, it means that you have got through it. You're here. You already have. So take hope and heart in that this morning. And David is writing this, uh, this poem upon Naganan. It means he's, he's really on his own with his heart, singing unto the Lord, remembering the hurt that he had, the past that he came through, remembering the, the, his own son has tried to kill him. And Absalom sat at the gate and tried to get people to follow him before they went into David. His own son Absalom done that. Who David loved. David loved him. And he sat at the gate collecting people before they got there. It's like sitting in the church collecting people for another church. You know, it's like a, an Absalom sitting there in front of you. And, and David, or you're trying to build a business and someone is like an Absalom collecting people, giving a bad report about you that they might follow. And maybe there's an Absalom has come in your life and it's scarred you, maybe hurt you. But notice here, brothers and sisters, David is through it and he's writing this on Nagana and it's a, it's a song of taunting to provoke, 
provocation. And here he's saying, look, I've been through from Saul trying to kill me, hiding in the holes of the rock, fearing for my life. And now my son has went and done the same. And it's provoking him as he's playing. It's pulling all the past, as it were, out. But not to dwell on the past. Not to let the past make you a victim. But David, in through the Lord, has become a victor. The past can keep coming up to you and if you allow it, it will make you a victim. Some people will, I don't mean to hurt anybody, but gloat being a victim. Some people are a victim and they can't help themselves and they're still hurting over the past. The past is gone and you're in Christ, you're a new creature. The past is done away with and in Christ, you're a new creature your sinful past, maybe a past that you were an accomplice in or maybe you were badly treated and every day you think of that and it makes you a victim all over again. Maybe someone hurt you and something happened to you and it's making you a victim all over again. Rise above it, brother. Rise above it, sister, and say, I refuse to be a victim all over again this morning. I refuse to allow it to dominate my life, but rather... God will dominate my life. The Spirit will dominate my life. The Word of God will dominate my life. I may be scarred and I remember the hurt. It's okay to remember the hurt and learn from it. But not to allow it to keep you captive where you're a prisoner to it and a slave of it. Don't let it make you a victim. But rather realize that in Christ you are a victor. You're more than a conqueror through him that loved you. I have things. I have things that's happened to me in my past. We all do. have real hurts that happened to me. And if we allow it to come to us every day, we, we would live as prisoners in our own minds. We live, in, live as prisoners in our own hearts. And I know you might say, but it's hard, it's difficult, it's sore. I know. I'm not belittling it in any way, sense, shape, or form. But what I'm saying is, the more you allow someone that's hurt you, someone that's wronged you, or someone that's done something else to you, the more you allow them in your life when they're out of your life and in the past, the more you allow it to come into your life You become their victor again. You become their captive all over again. But don't allow them. Don't let them. But rather, be victorious over it. Take the situation into hand. You take the situation and say, no, with Christ on my side, with the Lord in my life, This will no longer bind me, captivate me, hurt me. But rather, Christ has set me free and I will overcome. David is overcoming here. And although he's singing, it's a song to taunt. It taunts David's heart and he brings it all out again. And you know why? Because the Spirit of God had him do it that you and I would read it this morning. Think about this. 
The Spirit of God had David do this almost 3,000 years ago. That you and I would read it and many millions of others throughout the years that we would read it and we would find the, the help in it. When we lose a loved one, when we start to have a bit of joy in our lives, we feel that survivor's guilt. And it can taunt us because how dare we live when my loved one's in the grave? I've had it. When my two sisters died in the same week, and that summer, Alison and I were in Tenerife with the girls, and they were smaller, obviously. And, and, and I remember, I realized, it just dawned on me, here's me, and I'm in Tenerife with my family. The sun is shining. I'm in my shorts and my sandals and so on. And isn't it great? And suddenly I sat down on a wall and I was heartbroken. And she says, what's wrong? I says, how dare I enjoy my life? How dare I enjoy my life when my sisters are in the grave? And survivor's guilt comes. It scars me. It was an open wound, but you have to let it heal. And you've got to leave it with God. Why did God allow it to happen? Why did it happen in this manner? Why did they have to go together? I could ask a million questions. And I did. I did. And so do you. I don't understand this, Lord. But why? Why did this happen to me in the past? Or why did it happen when I was young? Or why did this or the other thing happen to me recently? And you can't get the grips with it or understand it. But brothers and sisters, you have to give it to God and move on from it. If you don't, it will control you. It will bind you. It will make you a captive and a prisoner. You don't know what my past has been like either and it keeps coming up. Listen, your past is gone when you're in Christ. In fact, even as a believer, when you have went to the cross, when you have repented of that thing, God has already put it behind him. The blood still avails for you, brother, sister. The blood of Christ still avails to wash you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? How much? Shut it out. Let the devil hear it. All in righteousness. You know how much all is? All. All means all. New means new. New creature. The Holy Spirit puts it into David's heart. And David went through this. And now he's, his heart is provoked. And the Spirit has him to write this. That all these years later, you sitting here, that you're here maybe with whatever has happened, wherever it's been, whatever it has come to pass, whether it's far away in your life or really up to recently or you're going through something now. The Holy Spirit, think about this now. Think about it. Knew all about it. And had you here to hear this message this morning? Had you here to hear this message this morning? So this nagging has to be played and David's heart is in his boots. 
I give you a lot of uh, headings at the part one, and I'm not going to go through them all again, but, but we looked at quite a, a, a bit of this, and I looked at, first of all, was the direction. Hear my cry, O God. He, he, he pointed his prayers to God. Have you prayed about it? Have you sought the face of God about it? Have you went back to the cross about it? So the first one was direction. This one is distance. Second one is distance. Notice, hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. Notice, from the end of the earth. Distance. Distance. Whether that's far away in your heart or far away geographically, would you turn to Psalm 139, please? Let's read from verse 7. Listen to what he writes. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Wonder where you go where God's spirit is not. Where do you go where God's spirit is not? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, that is in the grave. Behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, thy right hand shall hold me. Now I want you to notice something here because, you see, the Israelites counted the tabernacle as the center of the world. In the wilderness it was the center of the world. In Jerusalem, it was the center of the world when it was the temple. And David counted this Jerusalem and the tabernacle as the center of his world. As the center of his world. It was there he would worship Yahweh. And it was the center of David's delight. By the rivers of- In fact, whenever you go to Psalm 137... And we all know it, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down, you know, we wept when we remembered Zion. They hung their harps upon the willows because in their hearts, they they were looking from Babylon, from the east toward the west to Jerusalem, wanting to be there. Their heart was there. Their heart was in their place of worship. There's a, a little question for us. Is your heart to be in the place of worship Geographically, we can worship anywhere. We'll look at it in a second. But here in this place in your heart is your heart to be in a place of worship. They couldn't even play the the harp. They hung it upon the trees because their heart was broken, absolutely broken. And when their heart was broken, they couldn't even sing. Is there someone this morning with a broken heart? Is there someone this morning with a broken heart? And you can't even sing. 
that you're so hurt and scarred you can't even sing. Brothers and sisters, the Bible, the Word of God, the the, the prophets and David the king knew all about this because they went through it just like you and I, but it was the Spirit of the Lord who carried them. Notice here, In Psalm 139, David says, where could I go that you're not there? He remembers the omnipresence of God. In other words, God is everywhere. Thou art there, he says. And then he says again, thou art there. We always remind ourselves and others that, you know, if we sin, God knows about it because he's there. He sees you. Look, that's true. That's true. And where will I go to run away from your spirit? Behold, you're there. You're there. You're heaven. You're even, when I, if I was to go to the region of the dead, he says, I can't get away from you. So God is with you. And God sees you when you're wrong. But listen, he also is with you and sees you when you're right. It means he's with you when you're weak. He's with you when you're down. He's with you when you're depressed. He's with you whenever you're trying to overcome which we have spoken about. The omnipresence of God means God is everywhere from heaven to earth filling the whole of time and space and eternity. So we must think we believe then that God not only is with us but he sees us. Notice he says the other the uttermost part of the sea. The thing about this, the uttermost part of the sea is this. It, it can gives the idea the uttermost means the furthest away. It can mean to the latter end of days even, to the uttermost days. How far is David away from Jerusalem? He's really geographically not that far away. But where he is is outside the bounds of Israel. He's outside definitely the bounds of Jerusalem. And he feels cut off from his people entirely. There's people in life and they feel cut off. They feel cut off from society. They feel cut off from friends and family. They feel isolated and alone. Feel cut off from church, from assembly. And some people hide in their cut off position. And sometimes the cut off position then becomes a trench for warfare for them. Well, I'm going to defend this trench because I'm cut off and I'm staying cut off. I'm not going to go back because I've been hurt. I will never do this out of there because I've been offended. Listen, brothers and sisters, David here is saying, I'm cut off and I wish I was back in. I wish I was in the place of worship and I wish I was in Jerusalem and I wish I was around by the tabernacle. I wish I was in that place with God's people. That's what he's saying here. His heart's broken because of it. His heart's broken because his son wants to kill him and has been stealing people away from him. Someone he he was helping, someone he was elevating, someone he was given opportunity to. 
It happens in church. It happens in God's work. Has it happened to you, Ken? Yes. Yes. It has. And it still is. As we speak, it still is. And what do you do with it? I bring it to God. I bring it to the Lord. And on my own, the taunting of the songs of Zion draw out the feelings from my heart to God and I open myself to him. Notice here what he says. He talks about from the end of the earth in Psalm 61 and verse 2. Will I cry unto thee. He talks about from the parts of the sea in Psalm 139. The uttermost part. David was just outside the border. He wasn't even that far away. But that's why he felt put out. Do you know in Ezekiel chapter 48, the last chapter, the last line of the last verse, okay? The last chapter, the last line of the last verse. You know what the last four words are? Jehovah Shammah. You know what that means? The Lord is there. That's how it closes. Shows you the, the blessings on Israel, on Israel, the temple. That is the Holy Spirit temple. The Lord is there. That's the last four words. Meaning that God is omnipresent. In John chapter 4, turn with me briefly, please, if you will. I'm aware of time flying here. John chapter 4, Jesus is meeting the woman at the well. This woman is a woman who uh, would be deemed as a woman with five husbands. She's on number six. Notice this. He asked her to drink, and we haven't time to read all of this, but verse 19, she says, the woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship, notice, in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither worship in this mountain nor at Jerusalem. Worship the Father. Ye worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is. Notice, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman saith unto him, I know that thou art Messiah's cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Anyone tells you Jesus was a Messiah, then they're not, they're not reading the scriptures. He says, I that speak unto you, I am the Messiah. I am he. I take note here, brothers and sisters, what happened was the Jews worshipped at Jerusalem. Way up north, the, the Samaritans up there and those who lived up there worshipped in idols, idols in little groups of trees and 
and they worshipped all over. And this woman says, we worship in the mountains. You worship in Jerusalem. So how do we do this? And Jesus says, the hour cometh and now is. From now he says, you'll not worship in Jerusalem. It's done away with and you will not worship in the mountains either at these little clumps of trees and groves, he says, because you're going to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And where will we worship? We worship in our hearts. We gather together as believers wherever we are. So we are the temple of the Holy Spirit here. You and I are the temple. And as Ezekiel 48 says, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. What am I saying is, is this. The omnipresence of God is that David says, looking and, and being drawn out from his heartbrokenness. If I go to the uttermost part of the earth, you're there. The uttermost part of the sea. Do you know in Roman days that the Romans used to call the British eyes optimum thule? That means the uttermost part of the earth. And outside of the pillars of Hercules, they used to say, if you're outside of what was known as the pillars of Hercules, you're outside of God's jurisdiction. And the pillars of Hercules is the Straits of Gibraltar. And if you go to, in, in, to the rock of Gibraltar, and you go away to the top of it, you could actually go in and you, it's pitch black and you can look down, it's like a honeycomb. There's actually rooms carved out of it and passageways, corridors inside the rock and holes to look out. And the British done that whenever, uh, to, to look for the ships going up and down at the straits. But there's a big, a big sign about this way, almost this wide, only deeper. Tells of the history. You know what they called it? They used to call it, now not, not the British or the Spanish, I'm talking about the ancient Greeks even they mentioned in it. They call, they call it the uttermost part of the earth or the gates of hell. That's what they called it. Jesus says the gates of hell wouldn't prevent the gospel, didn't it? The building of the church. And people thought that the gates of hell, they, they must have, if they go by the gates of hell, that was outside the Mediterranean area. That's why Jonah got on a ship to flee to Tarshish to go right past the pillars of Hercules. If he got outside, he wouldn't have to go to, uh, to, to Nineveh and cry against it. And David, he's not that far. He's just outside, but it feels like the end of the earth to him. And he's saying these words. He says, even if I'm in the uttermost part of the sea or from the end of the earth, will I cry unto thee? Distance is nothing to God. Distance is nothing. Have you got a loved one in Australia, New Zealand or America or Canada or wherever? You can pray for them here. He's already there. Distance is nothing to God. And so we have distance in Psalm 61. Listen to what Thomas Watson once said. God's center is everywhere. His circumference, nowhere. Think about it. God's center is everywhere. Do you realize the God who is within you, the Holy Spirit? Do you realize God, the Holy Spirit, who is about you in the midst of us? 
Do you realize that God's spirit here this morning is as powerful? I want you to get this. It is as powerful right now in you as it is in heaven. His center is everywhere. God isn't like you and I if we hold our arms out and maybe have something on each arm after a while they get tired at the extremities. God's spirit is as powerful on the earth today as it is in the heavens. Because God is a spirit. His center is everywhere and his circumference is nowhere. You can't draw a circle around him because he is omnipresent. That means he's with you and he's with you and he's with you and he's with you and he's with me. And David said, even if I in my hurt, playing on his harp on his own, I remember when I felt outside, Lord, but you were with me. Even though I couldn't feel it, even though I couldn't see it, even though I didn't understand it, I know you were with me. And now he's playing on his harp and he's singing it. Imagine all those years so that you would hear it today. He's with you in your hurt. He's with you in your anguish. He's with you in your loneliness. He's with you. Time has flown. I may just do it. Let me do one more distress and I'll go quickly at this one. Back to Psalm 61, please. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. So we had direction. The second one was distance. The third one is distress. Distress. See the word here. If you look, here's a cry. From the end of the earth will I cry. Here's his prayer. It's a word of renault. Renault. Pardon me, verse 1, hear my cry, pardon me. Verse 1, there's two cries and then verse 2. Verse 1 is Renault. R-I-N-N-A-W. Gives the idea of a shrilling sound. Like a high-pitched shrill. Like you would see them maybe in the Middle East rolling their R's really fast, squealing highly. It's the idea of this. It's the idea of this. I can't roll my R's, so I can't even do it for you. Not that you'd want to hear it anyhow. And, and he's saying, hear my cry. It's a shrilling cry. And it can be a, a shrilling cry for joy or for grief. That shrilling, piercing cry when someone is in grief. That unbelief, that wave, that tsunami that overcomes the heart of the man and the woman that really brings the reality of a lost loved one or a tragic accident or whatever it may be to life right in our very moment causes us with everything to cry and to shrill it out. So we were to yell at the top of our voice and again also with such joy. You can't help yourself but be moved by the joy in joyful times. 
So the first one is Renault, and the second one now in verse 2 is the word Kawraw, K-A-W-R-A-W. And it means, gives the idea to accost, accost a person, to call out their name, to accost them. Let me give you an example. He's shrilling and crying with the pain of what's happening, with the despair, the unbelief of all the things that's going on and the the senselessness of it and the hurt of it. And then when he comes into it, hear my cry, he's accosting God. Give you an idea of it. Jessica, are you listening to me? (laughs) I'm embarrassing you. (laughs) That's the idea of it. Face to face with him. It's like grabbing someone by the lapels almost and looking them eyeball to eyeball. That's what David's saying. When I come before you, Lord, I know even if you go to the, I go to the uttermost part of the earth. By the way, the word earth can be your front garden. It means land simply live around in your garden it can be the parcel of ground where you live the fields where you live it can it's the word Eretz it can be the countryside or the whole country and Eretz is used for the whole world that's a wee bible study for you to do a wee word study because it's important because people get it mixed up when they're studying the scriptures they think it means the whole world and it doesn't or else it does and they think it does doesn't accosting someone like grabbing them by the collar, calling out their name that they would turn to you. That that, that your voice would reach their ear. Hear my cry and hear my shrill, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I call unto you. From the end of the earth, whether it's geographically wherever you are, maybe somewhere out on your own, or feeling in your heart and mind that there's none with you and you're cut off from everybody else and you're down and you're depressed and you're sad and you're lonely and it's, Jesus, help me! Lord, help me! It's the idea of this. This term is used by Joel in Joel 2 and 32. And that the time would come that whosoever would call upon the name of the Lord would not be ashamed or then in the new covenant would be saved. Save me, Lord. Peter getting out of the boat, sinking in the water. Lord, save me. It's the same idea. He accosted Christ. So, you get the idea of David's heart here. There's a deeper standing in this. There's a deeper entering in in this psalm. And if you've been thrown into turmoil like many others and myself have, sometimes you're saying, I haven't even the strength to do this. Lord, help me. I must close this. Notice he says, it says to 
To cry means to accost a person. It also means to recite or to read out loud. There's your Bible. You get before God and you say, Lord, here's what I've read in your word. Sure, I know what's in my word. That's what everybody thinks. Sure, I know, and he does know. But Lord, your word said this. Lord Jesus, you said this. It's not me, or it's not the pastor, and it's not some elder, it's not nobody else. Lord, look, and you read it out to him. Here's what your word says. That's the idea of this. And David playing on his harp on his own. Hear him strumming with a harp. He was a great player of an, the instrument because even when there's no evil spirit came upon Saul, David played and the spirit left him. He's on his own now and he's playing and he says, I'm going to write this and they can do it all together because I believe this will help someone and I hope this morning that's what he's doing with you. Playing on his harp. His heart is starting to remember oh, the pain of this, the anguish of this, the suffering of this, the hurt of this, the disappointment and the disillusionment of it all, the despair that I was in, he says. And there I was, as it were, feeling in my heart lonely and without help or hope at the uttermost part of the earth, outside from Jerusalem, away from the, the tabernacle and from uh, any worship and my friends and family. And there my son is trying to slay me. Comes back and he starts to play it and the spirit starts moving on him. I cried like a shrilling cry. Listen, he he wrote one time, weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. See the word joy? But joy cometh in the morning. The word joy is the word pardon me, and it means shrilling with joy. Listen, see what you're going through in this life. See what we go through as Christians. See what you're going through in your, your own personal life. See what you've been through and maybe still assailing you. Do you see the hurt and all of those things that's happening? That, that, that deep, un, unexpressible, inexplainable depth of, of, of your being from your heart from, your, from the center of you that you can't tell anybody about you've tried to explain it but it doesn't really match it do you see that part here David uses the word but the joy will match what you're going through and more The joy that's coming will match what you've went through and more. And whether it be the morning break when Christ returns or the morning of the break of the situation and you're overcoming it, it will be far more worth of glory. The weight will be greater on that side. You'll be praising him. And you'll be praising him. You'll be praising him. Spurgeon said it was a wise resolution for if he had ceased to pray, he would have become a victim of despair. Notice that? If he had ceased to pray, he would become a victim of despair. 
there is an end to a man when he makes an end to prayer. Listen, the old saying is, two prayerless days, and I know it, four prayerless days, and my wife knows it. One prayerless week makes a Christian weak. Maybe, sister, he's grumpy because he hadn't been praying. Maybe he's an old moaning, gurning grump because he hasn't been in the place with God. Brother, maybe she's the same. Because if you've been in the place with God, your heart will be sweet. Your heart will be relieved of that which is causing you to be grumpy if you've been in the place of prayer with God. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands, but brothers, be honest. How many of us moan and groan? She's laughing at me down the back. Never. Here's my, what I'll finish with this morning. The Lord said to Moses in Exodus 25 and 22, to build the tabernacle and to build the ark and how to build it and what to build it, make it out of. And when it's in the Holy of Holies, he says in, in, in Exodus 25 and 22, and there I will meet with thee and will commune with thee above the mercy seat from between the two cherubims which are on the ark of the covenant. So the ark of the covenant is in the holy place, the holy of holies. There it is, two cherubims on it. And the Lord said to Moses, I'll meet you there. See how everything was centered around us? But yet God speaks somewhere else outside of that. But God says, I'll meet you there. Nowhere else. It was the only holy place in the whole of the planet in which we live on. There. And I thought about this and I says, well, how does God speak and do other things with other people. And this is what I've written. This was the only place God would meet them in the whole world. But it was and is from every place he draws us to the ark. For that ark is Christ. And it is in every place and from all conditions he finds us to help us, to save us. And to rescue us. What I'm saying is, that ark was a representation, a foreshadowing of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were all being drawn, Israel were being drawn around the ark. Nowhere else in the world. You have to come my way, he says, and I'll only meet you here. And now, since Christ 
the shadow is gone and the substance has appeared in the person of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And now Calvary says, I'll meet you. Listen, he says, I'll meet you. But the only place I will meet you is at Calvary. Unsaved, the only place that God will meet you is at the cross, at Calvary. The blood was on the mercy seat and there the blood of Christ was shed. The glory came down. The glory was in Christ. And he says, the only place I will meet you is at the mercy seat, which is the cross of Christ. For it's there pleading for mercy that the sinner finds redemption, salvation and forgiveness. But the Spirit of God draws us from every condition and in every place. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? May God bless you this morning. Now I just turn to afternoon.